0: Ash Wednesday approaches, and the Methodists in NoWada are closing out the letter of Second Peter. Today's podcast is going to be the recordings of our time reading through the second chapter of Second Peter. There's only one chapter left after this, and then we're into Lent. Second Peter is uh, concerned with false people coming into the church. And it uh, has a, a paramount concern for the integrity of the body, and equipping members of the body to be able to identify whenever leaders or just people in general are not of or in Christ. So, um, it's kind of a hard sermon. I preached kind of hard, and uh, you know this this assembly has been very receptive. Ever since I got here seven and a half years ago, you know most United Methodist uh, congregations are touchier than this one, and that means that we can go deeper, that we can uh, that we can chew on the meat more than uh, a lot of other congregations. So I think I think what any listener is going to hear as they uh, attend upon God's word through this podcast is. Uh, A community really looking hard at an uncomfortable part of the scriptures. American Christianity is very uncomfortable with discerning this sort of thing in the body. We want to have churches that don't have to exercise discernment, that just trust in God to work in men and women's hearts and to uh, purify the body. And what that results in is a lot of really miserable churches that fight a lot over things that are really pretty clear. Now, there, there are some things that are not clear, and, and it's okay that not everything's clear, but some things are clear, the Bible talks about them, and it's dishonest to act as though we just don't know. And um, so anyway, Second Peter deals with uh, a lot of that. It's, in my opinion, I think every single part of the Bible is absolutely essential. But Second Peter is often overlooked. It's three chapters, it's short. I don't know. I I think it's very useful. So anyway, I hope you enjoy your time with us. I I hope you come join us this Sunday. It's a big time in the life of the church uh, discerning if they want to continue to be United Methodists. This Sunday is the vote after worship. uh, Both Nahuatl and Delaware are going to gather together and have a formal voting process. There's been a lot of prayer gone into this and it's been something that's torn a lot of communities apart but ours is hold to- held together and I'm just really uh, honored to be the pastor here and to proclaim God's word among people who want to hear it so anyway I hope you're one of them God bless you enjoy welcome to the No Water methodist church podcast where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world
1: We, of course, have been uh, preaching through both letters of Peter. We did the first five chapters of Peter in four weeks. Now uh, we've got this chapter of Second Peter, and then we're going to wrap up next week. There's only three chapters. Chapter 1, this is Peter, the Apostle Peter, the first among the 12. Um, he writes um, the first chapter. You'll remember he says, What we delivered to you, what we gave to you when we gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ, was not cleverly devised fables and myths, it's history. It's real. He says, I was on the mountain with him. I saw him with my own eyes when he was transfigured, started glowing white, and God's voice came from the clouds. You remember this? He says, it's history. It literally happened. It's not a metaphor. And then he talks about those who wrote the scriptures. He says, no prophet writes down his own interpretation. Rather, the Lord gave them what to say. And that the Bible is fully trustworthy. You can trust What is written down because it's not bigoted ancient men that now we know better from it is the mind of god put down on paper if you can believe that what an incredible thing for us to have at our disposal right and people would rather read song of ice and fire or whatever garbage there is this is the most wonderful thing that we've got to read john wesley said i am a bible bigot isn't that a good phrase i like it bible bigot that i am predisposed to believe that whatever is in this is true and if something sounds true but it's not in here then it probably won't be this is my way of navigating life that's how all christians should be people in our era fall short frequently chapter two is going to pick up from there and talk about false teachers and it's going to talk about specific qualities that they have But this is coming right out of talking about the importance of Scripture and the historicity and truthfulness of it. So he is connecting this notion of the truth of Scripture and then the falseness of other leaders. Because the reality is interpreting the Scriptures is for some reason just really hard for us. We're very selfish, and we don't like looking at the parts that convict us of our sins, and we like looking at the parts that already fit our agendas. We're very self-interested, aren't we? Or am I the only one? I'm confessing a human condition for all of us, and you're not taking offense because it's the truth. We are self-interested creatures who don't want to hear things that are uncomfortable, and we want to hear things that are comfortable. And then the task of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So if you feel afflicted by me sometimes, it's because you've gotten too comfortable, and I love you, and I have to wake you up. It's not because I'm mean, it's not because I want to hurt you, it's because it was written down because outside of this truth there is no salvation. I don't see the point of what we're doing here if you can be saved in another way. I, I, I just think this is nothing more than a social gathering, an unnecessary social gathering, if people can be saved in some other way. The Christian song and dance, the Christian way of life is for those who want to be saved from their sins. That's what we're doing here and now. We are learning about how it is that Christ saves us and what our saved lives are now to look like. Amen? Amen. Chapter two. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. It's talking about the ancient Jewish people. You'll remember, even when God saved them out of slavery in Egypt, immediately there were people who arose up within God's people that preached against Moses and worked against God's purposes. And he's saying, if that happened in the first covenant community, it's going to happen in yours too. Wouldn't we all like to believe, oh, there's no threat of false teaching in my church? Wouldn't we love that? Oh, I don't have to be on guard. I can just listen. I can take it all in uncritically. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? That is a lie from the evil one. I would love to think that I'm never going to tell you anything wrong. I would love to think that I'm never going to steer you wrong. But you shouldn't trust in that. You should not put your trust in me. You should put your trust in Christ Jesus, known through his word, and you should hold me up to that standard. And if at any point I start taking you away from who Christ is, you remember what you should say? Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said to, to Peter, right? You're speaking of earthly things, not of heavenly things. Anytime you got a leader in the church who is speaking a message other than the message of Christ Jesus, the only thing to say is, Get behind me, Satan. Even if it's your pastor that you love dearly. These false teachers will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Heresy is defined as anything that defies the church, right? And we've heard plenty of scripture that says, You and I are supposed to be united in Christ, right? We're supposed to have the mind that is in Christ. And when you are sublimated to the Christ as known through the scriptures, there will be unity, but there will be people who arise in the church and start dividing in the church. And sometimes that's over theological stuff. Sometimes it's over what color the carpet should be. Any division in the church is no good. Now, that doesn't mean that whoever says it first gets their way. That means that we should be of one mind, seeking consensus all the time, And we should be establishing what the biblical truth is and then submitting to it. Well, what if we don't like it, though? Should we submit then? Yeah. I would say, especially when we don't like it, that's when we should submit. Because odds are, that's where God is needing to apply some medicine in my life. If you have an open wound that needs to be disinfected, does that feel good? But if you put disinfectant on the place that's not wounded, it's not going to do you any good, is it? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And that brings swift destructions on on themselves. You would like to think nobody would come into the church and deny the Lord who bought them. Plenty of people do. First off, they will, I mean, I'm going to speak very flatly today, very plainly. There is this phenomenon called liberalism. And liberalism, in a political sense, I think can be great. The liberal tradition is an excellent tradition. It, it fosters critical thinking, uh, causes us to question our foundations. But the, 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 the liberal tradition is questioning the foundations. And whenever we're talking about political theory, when we're talking about philosophy, that's great. But do you remember how it was that Satan tempted Eve? He came up to her in the garden, and what was the first thing out of his mouth? Did God really say that you can't have any of these trees, any of this fruit. And then that's how he got her. She says, well, no, 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 we can have all except these one. And then he just goes right from there. He leaves it. Oh, he doesn't want you to have that one because he's, he's a mean God. He doesn't want you to be like him. Satan always begins with, did God really say? And within the church of Jesus Christ, there have been people saying, is God really going to punish sin? Are we really going to worship this God who's so insecure he's got to punish sinners? Oh, he's so wrathful, right? He's, oh, you, we just made that God up because, you know, he's a figment of our imagination. We want to believe in, in some cosmic justice and, and really, we don't, God is love. He's not judgment. Or they'll say things like, are we really to believe that because of some ancient Aramaic guy, And the fact that he died on a cross, somehow that has something to do with my sin. That him having this excruciating, embarrassing public death somehow forgives me and absolves me of my sin. There are people in the church who say this stuff. And they say, I really don't understand that. I think Jesus was a moral leader. I believe he showed us the way to live, but I don't think his death was necessary in order for me to be saved. There are a lot of people who say, I'm not sure I even need to be saved. God made me this way. I'm a special snowflake, he loves me, it says I'm made in his image. I don't need to be saved, I don't need some guy to die on a cross for me. These are all things that are regularly said in churches all across America, especially United Methodist churches. And that's why there's so much division in the United Methodist Church today. It's because this has been going on for over a century. The liberal tradition made a a very comfortable home in the United Methodist Church such that in 2004 we had a bishop bishop sprague who denied that christ was god incarnate that he was born of a virgin that his death atones for our sins he was a bishop of the united methodist church they filed charges against him for clear heresy and the charges were dropped a church cannot hold together whenever it allows for heretical teaching a church isn't a church when it preaches against biblical teaching what Peter's writing about here is not some ancient problem that we then look back on and go, oh, they didn't have discernment in the body back then. Oh, we know better now, don't we? No, he's talking about something that has been in place from the beginning of creation. God shows us his truth, and we go, but is it really the truth, though? It's war- Peter's warning us about that. There are going to be people who come that make you question your foundational beliefs, and you have to know them for who they are. If you don't see that they are false teachers... They will lead you astray. And he is going to say that flat out here in a bit. Let's go back in. <laughs> we took all that time in verse 1. We're not going to take all that time with every verse. <clears throat> I'm going to take a drink, though. All right, verse 2. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. So that, this is the thing. He's going to talk about these leaders. They try and make allowance or room for a willfully sinful behavior uh, in our lives. And he's saying that when we listen to them and when we permit sin in our lives publicly we're giving christ a bad name we're giving the christian church a bad name and indeed when you look at why a lot of most people say that they're not interested in the church it's because they know hypocritical evil christians people who don't practice what they preach this is something that that was warned about verse three in their greed these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories I'm just going to warn you, if you ever hear a preacher that tells lots of stories, just don't trust him or her. You notice I don't tell many stories. You can tell a story to justify anything. Just because someone has a nice story doesn't mean diddly. Don't trust stories. Trust in God's truth. But also, let me tell a story every now and again. I kind of like doing it. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So here what he's going to go into is the concern about justice. If God doesn't like them, why is he letting them do it? Why isn't he punishing them? And Peter's saying, oh, don't you worry. He's a perfect judge, and oh, he's going to judge them. And so that's what he's getting into it here in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment... He's talking about in Genesis 6 when the angels, the watchers, came down and paired off with women and spread wickedness throughout the world. That's what brought on the flood. Remember that? Verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Okay, so here's a story where God condemned a lot, but he saved some. He saved the righteous, right? Here's another one. Verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, he's talking about Lot, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So he, Peter is saying God is a perfect judge. All the wicked, every single one, will be judged. All the righteous, every single one, will be saved. And that judgment and that salvation is currently being experienced today. Those who persist in sin, their condemnation is on them right now, even if they don't feel it. Somebody approached a pastor one time and said, You talk about how I'm spiritually dead without Jesus, but... uh." That there's this terrible weight on people without Jesus who persists in sin. He says, I don't feel the weight. And he says, well, if you put a bunch of dirt on top of a dead body, do they feel the weight? And he says, no. And he said, that's why you don't feel it. Isn't that a courageous thing? <laughs> I don't talk to people's faces that way. I go, hmm, and then I walk away. <laughs> Verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority these are the two things this chapter is going to focus on following the desire of the flesh and despising authority now a lot of people immediately anticipate this and go i don't know what's wrong with following the a god gave me my desires there's no one who actually believes that there is nobody who acts on every single desire that they have there's nobody who does everybody moderates their desires to some degree or another the question is where we draw that line, and ever since the 1960s, it's been very public and popular and brave for people to say, I think the Bible draws the line in the wrong place. I know and love so-and-so who, who they cross that line and they seem just fine. I think God made them that way. This is a flawed way of thinking. First off, we're all born broken, whether or not it's in desire of the flesh, ways we're all born broken and anyone who says no i was born just fine what are you doing here why are you here what do you want to do with jesus you're fine go go be fine this is for the people who aren't fine without jesus but secondly people who are dead in their sins are perfectly lovely people i know tons of sinners i used to be one of them i was great to party with I went to lots of parties. I was a lot of fun. Some people didn't like me. Some people thought I was the life of the party. Just because they love me does not mean I was right with Jesus. Doesn't mean that I'm going to make it into heaven. Just because you know and love somebody does not mean they're going to make it into heaven. Just because you know when someone who calls themselves a Christian, but they persist in sin, does not mean they're right with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, I don't think that's a big deal. I'm a Christian and I do that. You're not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And if you're not meeting that standard, your job is not to go, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm just fine. No, you're not. Until you meet the standard of Christ Jesus, you need to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's, that's language from the Bible. Am I afflicting the comfortable? There's those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh. If we don't live by the flesh, then what do we live by? Scripturally, what what is the flesh against? Spirit. Jesus said, unless you be born again of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are not guided by our fleshly desires. We're guided by the spirit. The division within the church today that is causing all this division. Yes, the 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 main thing, heart of the thing is around sexual ethics, but it's much bigger than that. And it is, are we to be governed by the Holy Spirit and go to war against the flesh? Or are we to be governed by the flesh and pretend it's the Spirit? that's that where do we start do we start with the spirit and try and give it lordship over the flesh or do we start with the flesh and give it lordship over the spirit it's two fundamentally different ways of going through the world and the really infuriating thing is people on both sides use the exact same stinking words and they'll say jesus is my lord well jesus is my lord but he's a very different lord for you than he is for me well i i believe that Christ saves, and I believe in salvation. Well, your salvation is a very different salvation than the one I'm talking about. You know? I believe that God punishes the wicked. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what kind of punishment are you talking about? Because I'm talking about hell. Oh, you're talking about a life badly lived, but everyone still gets into heaven? Let me ask you this. Are there consequences for how we live our lives? If somebody gets drunk and goes and gets in the vehicle do they have any right to expect that things are going to go well? If somebody gets their paycheck and instead of going and paying their bills goes over to the casino, do they have any right to expect that things are going to go well? We talk about, you know, this is obvious, this is obvious consequences. If somebody lives their lives in defiance of the scriptural testimony and follows the desires of their own flesh, do they have any right to be expecting to be with Christ for eternity? You guys, it was, I handed it to you. You were so loud and no drunk driving, no casinos. But I still want everybody to go to heaven. Well, I want to go to heaven too, but there's consequences. And people who do not live and die in Christ have no right to expect to be with him for eternity. They have no right to. And it'd be one thing if I'm sitting here and just, oh, these poor, evil, damnable people out there, shucks, wish there was something we can do for them, but there's not. No, you and I have been given the good news to give them, to save them. And to every single person, the message is the same. You were born dead in your sins. Christ died for you out of his love while you were dead in your sins. Now your response is to repent, to forsake your sins and to walk in newness of life for the rest of your life. And for some people, for all of us, that has sexual implications, has implications for what we do with our money. It has implications for how we live with our families. It has implications for how we spend our spare time. The reason that people are talking about sex is not because Christians are obsessed with sex. It's just this was something that everybody knew until recently Says, is sex really a big deal? And we're going, yes, it's a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. And they're going, you're obsessed with sex. We're going, you're obsessed with sex. We weren't talking about it before you were. But the scriptures are clear and it sounds like it seems like some people haven't been listening so we need to go over this basic work again i don't really want to i don't like getting in front of a room full of grown-ups and telling them about their sex drives i mean but if you don't know it that's something that very easily comes between you and god and if you don't learn to govern yourself and if you don't exhort others to govern themselves you are dancing with the devil he's a better dancer than you are. You think my metaphors are stupid? (laughs) I was talking to a pastor who got in big trouble this week. I'll tell you this story in a few weeks, maybe. But I said, what'd you get in trouble for, man? He said, I pooped in Satan's cereal bowl. (laughs) I said, do you preach like this, man? He says, heck yes. So anytime you think I'm just really too much, just know there is some guy talking about poop from the pulpit, and it's not, it's not going to be me. Alright, so we have those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh, and then those who despise authority. And then to be clear, the Bible establishes authority within the church and authority here on earth, and it says that both are directly from God. So within the church you have the authority used by the elders. Uh, those are the, the people who run the local church, have the authority from God to run the local church. Your job is not to buck authority, but to bless authority insofar as it's rooted in Christ Jesus in the church. Now, in the world, it's a completely different thing because the world is not the church. So God gives wicked rulers to wicked people. That, uh, that's a quote from G.K. Chesterton, I think. Uh, when, people, when there's wicked people, God rewards them with wicked rulers. But the thing is that God also, he gives us the rulers we got. And our job is not to buck the rulers we've got, but to bless the rulers we've got, to pray for the rulers we've got. And over the years, I've made people angry for blessing for different uh, praying for different presidents that we've gotten wishing well-being upon them because partisan politics gets us pretty bitter. And the thing is, when you're so partisan, you're into your party that you actually hate people on the other side. You you draw down curses for them and you don't bless them. Uh, The scripture should convict you on that. So I know it's hard to bless and love and wish for the well-being you know a lot of i remember cody one time he says how do i pray for the taliban you remember that i said pray that they convert you know if you if you hate people on the other side pray that they would see the light pray that there would be common ground between your side and theirs do not be praying for the condemnation of others god's going to bring that just fine without you Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. He's talking about angelic, otherworldly beings. Uh, If you don't know it, they're not just demons, but there are angelic presences around us. Um, There are people who are very bold in speaking about spiritual realities. They really shouldn't be. He's saying uh, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, they don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand they're like unreasoning animals creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed and like animals they too will perish i could preach on this longer i'm reaching the end of my time um we live in a time where a lot of people speak out of their depth they don't know what they're talking about they just talk and people listen for some reason if if you don't know what you're talking about just be quiet I, I'll tell you, I respect people so much when they say, I don't know. You know, that's one of the things that kills me about fathers in particular sometimes. They can't, when their kids ask them a question, they can't say, I don't know. They just got to make some stupid thing up. Anybody ever read Calvin and Hobbes? His dad was hilarious, but he did so much damage to that kid, you know. If you don't know, just say so. But there's a lot of people in the church, you know, I don't understand how God can be just and judge people. Well, you don't have to understand it (laughs) just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you get to speak against it Uh, you see i'm i hopefully i'm drawing a very clear direct line from what's in here to what we see out in the world there are a lot of people who just i don't understand i told you well no i'm not going to say that let's go on um verse 13 they will be paid back harm with harm for the harm they have done their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight carousing is like socializing and drinking people throughout history have done that they usually do it at night because there are fewer people watching it's easier to get away with bad behavior he's saying they're doing it during the day they're not even ashamed they've forgotten how to blush they don't even know that they should be embarrassed of how they live they're doing it in broad daylight they are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. These are not people outside of the church. These are people who come into the church and don't have the decency and the sense to know that their sin offends the Lord and corrupts the body, They're blemishes and blots. We'd like to believe that everybody has some sense and goes, oh, you know, I'm going to church. I really shouldn't do this. But no, there are plenty of people who without shame, persist in sin, no repentance, no conviction, week after week day after day no shame and they come to church and there's no tears in their eyes there's no repentance in their hearts they're proud in their sin scriptures warn us about people like that verse 14 with eyes full of adultery they never stop sinning they seduce the unstable they are experts in greed and accursed brood is this a politically correct book is this a book concerned with our self-esteem? <laughs> it's a direct book. Verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. If you haven't read this story, it's in numbers. First off, you should read the whole Bible. You know. Secondly, if you haven't read it, he's a, he's a pagan not Jewish. Uh, He's a Gentile prophet. Uh, Enemies of the Israelites come, and they summon him to prophesy against the Israelites, and God uh, possesses him and makes him speak blessing. It's a great story, but at one point, an angel is blocking him in the way, but he can't see it, and if he goes any further, it's going to kill him, but his donkey can see it, and his donkey refuses, and he starts just abusing his donkey, and finally, the donkey speaks and says, I'm saving your life, you idiot, and then his eyes are open, and he sees the angel in front of him and he's saying that's how it is there are a lot of people who don't realize they're dancing with the devil they don't realize that they're dealing death and destruction and they're just stupid animals that's what it's comparing them to he's saying in fact some animals are smarter than some humans (laughs) you know this donkey here opened this guys and that's how some humans live we like to act as though we're all noble if you know humans there are a lot of humans that live in subhuman conditions And yeah, some of that's like material stuff, but a lot of it is just lifestyle stuff. They refuse to use what's up here. They refuse to use what's in here. They're just creatures designated for destruction. And that breaks our hearts, doesn't it? Because it doesn't have to be that way. And by the way, do we have a mission to people like that? If we're not clear, like... Yeah, we're, we're not here as like, oh, we're saved and the rest of the world is damned and oh, they're icky and oh, we're so wonderful. That's not what's going on. We're coming together going, we used to be icky and God saved us and now we need to save others. That's what's going on here. This is not the stereotypical judgmental Christians, oh, looking down our nose at the world. This is humble, earnest, true Christians repenting of our sin daily and walking in newness of life and inviting others to do so, right? That's the game we're doing. Verse 17, these people, these bad people in the church, these ones that have no shame, have forgotten how to blush, they are springs without water. What's a spring good for if it doesn't give water? Nothing. There are mists driven by a storm. What are clouds good for if they don't rain? The whole. These are metaphors right here. for These are people that just take up space. They're not good for anything. They don't produce anything. They're not glorifying God. They're just taking up space. They might be beautiful, a dried up spring can be beautiful, mist can be beautiful, but life isn't about being beautiful, it's about being in Christ Jesus. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. So he's saying when we allow people in the church who act like obeying the desires of the flesh is not a big deal, then there are going to be people who are getting saved out of the world and they're going, I thought it was a big deal and I was repenting, but so-and-so in the church, it's no big deal for them, so I guess I get to have my cake and eat it too. He's saying your faith affects the faith of other people in the body. We've talked about this before. Nobody argued with me then. You might want to argue with me now. We want to tolerate everybody within the body, right? But the thing is, when people come and they don't want to repent, that affects the social fabric here. That affects new believers who come in. Here he's saying, well, what is he saying about them? Verse 19, they promise these people freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For, quote, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. How do you know if you have an idol? Either you sin to get it or you sin if you don't get it. If there's anything that has mastery over you and it's not the Lord, then you're in trouble. Verse 20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. There are a lot of people who believe in, in something called double predestination where before you're even born you're destined for heaven or hell and god once he claims you is never going to let you go you can never fall away if that's the case i don't know how to make sense out of this because he's saying there are people who come to christ jesus they confess him as lord they're established in the faith but then they fall away he's saying it flat out there are people like that here and he says it's worse off to be one of them than to have never come to jesus in the first place Verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. We live in an age that expects the church to bless us in our sins, to comfort us without conviction to love us without accountability. And that's not what we encounter in the Bible. The Bible says if you puked, walk away from that vomit. You ever seen a dog that vomits and then licks it back up? Yeah, yeah it's gross. I saw that as a kid. My grandpa's dog, Lady, I thought, oh, that is so unladylike, Lady. Don't do <laughs> Ugh. But that's, that's what it is when we who have died to sin again engage in it. And this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about this. I preached on this pretty hard when we came across it in Romans. But the thing is, i got to keep preaching on it because we're going to keep forgetting about it. And we're going to keep trying to make room for people that Jesus doesn't make room for. Now, let's be clear. Is there anybody who is so lost in their sin that God cannot save them? There is not a single person in this world that the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough to atone for. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. But that love, or rather the salvation that comes out of that love, is conditional. And that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we attend upon the ordinances of God. That's why we engage in the community of faith. That's why we listen to that awful, pretentious, idiotic pastor that is telling us our business. You don't have to like me. And I I don't want to give you, nobody said anything to me in forever that's mean. But I just know that there are people who, when I'm not around, are not very impressed with me, and that's fine. What we encounter here is all that matters. And so as we conclude our worship service today, I'm hoping that the decisions that we make are governed by this. And that as we approach this, it's not as cleverly designed metaphors and fables, but that we trust this even over the wisdom of our age let's stand and sing our closing hymn it'll be a blessing go forth for God number 670 let's stand and sing